Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Thank you, worship team, for helping us do what you help us do each week. Uh, A couple of things uh, before we turn our attention to the scriptures. Remember that one time that uh, Christine got me fired because I let her do the announcements? That was great. Yeah. Let's not ever bring that up again, okay? Just let that go, okay? Um, and the second thing is uh, far more important than that, and that is uh, this is our, our Family Promise Week, and if you're a part of the Family Promise ministry team this week, would you just stand where you are right now, please? Good. Go- Man, boy, it's heavily weighted on, on this two-thirds of the church. Everybody over here on the north side, feel free to join in, okay? Yeah, okay, good. I just want to say thank you to all of you because... All of the slots are filled, which means all of the needs will be met, and a homeless family will feel well-loved and secure and well-fed and even liked, liked by the end of the week, because God's people will just show up each night and take care of them and love them like they're one of us, and hope that they'll be one of us, right? Yeah, so ministry, I'm, I'm involved this week too, and I want to thank all of you who are a solution to the world's problems. It's good. So we've been trying to learn about the Holy Spirit over the last couple of months. This has been an incredible experience in my life. I hope that it's been some version of that in yours. The Holy Spirit um, in Christian circles gets lots of attention around this holiday called um, Pentecost, and and as you study the New Testament, he gets all kinds of props, but the Holy Spirit is not Johnny-come-lately among the persons of the Godhead. He's, He's been one eternally with the Father and with the Son, has always existed. And, and so we opened our Bibles uh, back at the beginning of September and found that in just the second verse of the Bible, he shows up. He's working with God the Father and God the Son in, in creating the universe. And, and when God the Father had acted and, and all there was was this, this void and this, this shapeless chaos, the Holy Spirit, like a mother hen, came and just began to give warmth and life and to bring order out of chaos. And he did it for the earth, and he'll do it for you too, if you'll invite him in, if you'll listen for his voice, and if you'll submit to his ways. We then took a look at his next appearance, which was in the life of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a guy who was just beaten down again and again and again by life, but he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. There's a new idea, filled with God's Holy Spirit. And because of that, the most powerful man on the earth, the Pharaoh of Egypt, took a look at him and said, there's something different about that guy. And and Pharaoh didn't have the, the Christian terminology that we do, and he believed in all kinds of gods. And he just looked at this one guy who was different than anybody else because he had wisdom and he had spiritual insight. And he said, that guy must be full of the spirit of the gods, plural, but we know whose spirit inhabited him. 
We worked our way on through the scriptures and we come upon this whole class of people known as the prophets who, who seem to just exhibit the power of God in very weird ways that make us kind of shake our heads and, and sometimes just exhibiting their own personality and influence. But we saw among the prophets that they did two things. They spoke the word of God very plainly and very truthfully in an effort to call God's people to return to him in faithfulness. And on occasion, they would predict the future and say, if you don't return to God, thus and such will happen, and it will be the disciplining hand of God, not meant to crush you, but to turn you and bring you back. That message, for the most part, was ignored, almost always. And so the prophets changed their story near the end of each one of their books, and they said, one day God's going to come himself. He's, he's going to come and, and invade this earth in a loving fashion, and and he'll send us a great fixer, somebody who's going to begin to make all things new and right once again. Last week, we, we took a look at the Holy Spirit and the life of two men, King Saul and King David. People are filled with God's Holy Spirit, but whose lives completely came off the rails. And, and by the end of it, both of them had become murderous. How? Because they quit courting the Spirit of God. Instead, begin to push him away and push themselves away. And we found out that this Holy Spirit who rushes in toward us, who's very eager to come and, and live with us and do life with us, can also be hurt and grieved. And the people of God are, are, are warned, careful, this relationship with the Holy Spirit is nothing to be taken for granted. But you pour yourself into it. You rush toward him like he rushes toward you. And you will see that this relationship is, in fact, quite healthy and robust. Well, today we're going to uh, spend one last week in the Old Testament before we shift and, and take a look at the Holy Spirit, probably in terms that are a bit more familiar to us. Today we're going to look at his presence in the life of a man named Daniel. I mentioned him in just the second week because he... Uh, He's very similar in some ways to, to the Joseph character that we, that we learned about then. But if, you, if you're, you don't have time, well, maybe you do have time while I preach to read the book of Daniel. It's only a few short chapters, right? Um, and nothing I've ever spoken has been short. Uh, but we don't have time to read the entire book today. Uh, I'm going to be working largely from chapters 3 and 4, or no, 4 and 5. Well, let's say 3, and three, 4, and 5, and then I won't be wrong, okay? We're going to take a look at, at the Holy Spirit and the life of Daniel, and we're going to take a look at Daniel's life and learn a few things about what the Holy Spirit does. We, have, we know who he is. He's God from eternity past. The question is, what's he up to? We're going we're gonna to learn about that in the life of Daniel. I'd ask you to stand with me, please. I'm going to begin reading from chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. But before I do, Lord, we don't want to read a book report about you, Holy Spirit. Instead, we want to encounter you. We want to receive your love and your power. We want to give ourselves heart, soul, mind, and strength to you. We've got to learn about you, so come and turn the lights on for us. Show yourself to us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm reading from Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Now, um, a little bit, of, little bit of background. Daniel is this guy who grew up in Israel 
because his country fell into the kind of sin that I talked about earlier, where, the, where the, even the prophet's message wasn't heeded, uh, his, his nation fell to some of their neighbors. The Babylonians invaded. And he and a few of his friends, several of his friends, were actually taken sort of like hostages, except for this one thing. The king never intended to send them back. Or to use them. Neither did he intend to kill them. Instead, he was taking the best people that he could find and was going to bring them into his court and use the very best of this neighboring nation to now strengthen his own kingdom. That king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. And when we get to this part in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, his reign is troubled and he's had a dream. Now, listen. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so that they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream. But they couldn't tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now, tell me what my dream means. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Right, so you got the picture, right? Here's, here's Daniel, this guy who's Israeli by birth, probably part of the, the noble class in Israel. He and a number of his peers are the, um, among the few who survived the invasion by the Babylonians. He and a few of his peers are taken into the custody of the king of this neighboring nation. They're brought into his royal court. They are trained in the culture and in the religion of their new nation. They're given new names an offensive thing to them. I mean, I, I, I preached a few weeks ago about how my mom wanted to name me Bruce instead of Cliff and how Cliff's been, you know, Clifford was kind of a rough name when you're in kindergarten. But all the same, I think I'd like to stick with mine instead of somebody coming in and saying, ah, you get a new name and this time we're naming you after some foreign god as though you are now his property and attached to him. It was under this set of circumstances, Daniel put into the cultural, political, and religious academy of his captor nation that we find his story unfolding. He seems to be an incredible man because in the middle of all these confusing times, he still seems to keep his wits about him. He spends all the rest of his life far from his native land. He lives all of his adult life and into his senior years and finally lays his head in the grave in foreign soil. He's been the prisoner and the advisor of two different kings in two different nations by the time uh, he, he ends his life here on earth. First, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar came along. Secondly, that nation was then overtaken by the Persians and a king named Belshazzar. In the first king's court, Daniel ended up showing himself to be of crucial importance and great help to an enemy king. 
The same thing happened in the court of the second king. And both of these kings who spoke different languages, who had different religions, who had different cultures and different backgrounds, looked at this man and said there is something so incredibly different about him that, again, in their terminology, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Two guys looking for two different things. Two guys looking for two completely different kinds of help from him. Two guys who thought they had the world figured out. They're kings. They're winning wars. They're taking over nations. They look at this man who just lives in front of them and say, there's something incredibly different about him, different than all of the other advisors, all the different wise people, all the different religious experts that we've got. This guy is full of the spirit of the holy gods. It's an incredible, incredible sentence too, because you have to understand that whatever else is true, the many gods that these two different kings and these two different nations worshipped the people never referred to their gods as holy. You know why? Because they weren't. The gods that that the Babylonians and the Persians worshipped were not gods who were described as righteous or good or loving or kind or patient or gentle. Instead, they were gods who were full of wrath and anger, who many times just liked to come and torture and mess with human beings and oppress them. And their religions were all about simply trying to get these gods unmad at you for a little bit. Maybe, maybe, if you did all of your religion right, you might be able to convince the gods to not kill you. And maybe if you were over the top better than the rest of the people at your religion, the gods might actually just leave you alone. So these two kings from two different cultures, from two different religions, saw this one man and the way that he lived, and they said, apparently, there's a spirit of some holy God who lives in him. Don't know that God. Don't know his name. But we're learning some things about him by looking at Daniel and how he lives. He's captured the attention of two of the most powerful men on earth, each in succession. Why? Because he had lived in such a way that it was apparent that the spirit of the holy God was living in him. What was it that these guys saw in the life of this man that led them to believe that a holy God inhabited him? Well, to begin with, uh, Daniel and the the guys that he was teaching and shaping and discipling said that uh, they would not join their new culture in its worship. They took a look at the culture in which they now lived. It was very different than the one they had grown up in. But they said, however it is that these folks live, we're going we're to look at that crucially through the lens of our faith. And we are not going to join the masses in their worship of anything that is other than our God. Anything other than what is holy and anything other than this personal God that we've gotten to know. That was different than everybody else in the country. Everybody else was just swept along with the national religion. But this guy, Daniel, and those people that he, was, that he kept close to him, that he was teaching, said, no, 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 not us. We don't go with the flow. We have one God, and we're going to worship him and worship him alone. Secondly, they were a people, Daniel was a guy who would not hide his faith or his religion, two different things, your faith and your religion. 
Daniel wouldn't hide either of those things. Whenever he was asked, he would speak boldly about his faith. And even at times when he wasn't asked, David said, it's time to step up and it's time to stand up and speak the truth. And so when it became not only uncool, but illegal and in fact very dangerous in this new land for him to speak about his faith and for him to openly practice his religion, Daniel did so in the clear sight and hearing of everyone, even those that he knew were laying traps for him and trying to, uh, trying to, to, to take his life. He just knew what he believed, and because of it, he would not hide either his faith, his personal faith, or his religion, the practice of his faith. The king saw it, and they saw all of the spineless who surrounded him, who, who said, oh, we've got just as much wisdom Oh, we're, we're just as, as, as spiritual as the next guy. And the kings, who didn't even have this biblical lens that we do, didn't even have this Christian understanding that we do, they said there's something different about that guy because he won't hide his faith or his religion. I mentioned that he was discipling others. A disciple's a, a, a weird, it's a, it's a noun, it's a verb, it's this weird thing in Christianity. It just means that you take your faith so seriously that when you, when, when you introduce others to this faith in this God, you don't leave them alone and let them try to figure it out on their own. Instead, you take them into close relationship and you begin to teach them what to believe and how to live in light of it. And Daniel who had every right to just kind of go internal, to go turtle, pull in the head, pull in the arms and legs, get self-protective, make life about me and my survival. Instead, while he's being swept away to this foreign country, while they're forcing another, trying to force another religion on him, trying to force another identity on him, he instead is taking time to just back out of that and occasionally speak to the other guys and teach them the faith in the one true God kings noticed. They said there's something different about that guy. He served his enemies with respect. Now, you can bet that in this situation, there were plenty of people who shook their face and said, I won't go, and, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're killed because of it in the whole process. There were some who said, no, just keep your head down, and, and they, they were swept away like Daniel and his friends into this foreign country. And when they were there, they just said, just don't make eye contact, just keep your head down, don't get in trouble. And you know how it would just kind of bear down on you and burden you, for, you know, over the years? There, there certainly were people who said, fine, I'll do what I have to do, but I don't have to like it. But every time we come across Daniel, His heart seems to be different because he seems to be serving with joy his enemies. Now look, if if I was a guy who was full of God's Holy Spirit, had the ability to, to interpret dreams, you know what I would do? I'd work against my enemies with it. They come and tell me, what does this mean? I'd probably just tell them horrible things to make them afraid. Try to change their course of action in this world. But not Daniel. It's, it's almost like he didn't consider them his enemies anymore. He served his captors joyfully and respectfully as though they belonged to God. The kings noticed.
in the business of speaking the truth, he wasn't just speaking about his faith. Seems like very often when Daniel was called to stand before the kings and the kings said, hey, what does this mean? Daniel always had bad news for them, but he went ahead and gave it, knowing that many times when the message isn't liked, people what? Shoot the messenger, right? Somehow, this man was different than the others. So when he had bad news, he told the king bad news when everybody else was saying it. Oh, may king, may you live forever. Daniel would just say it like it was, confident that as long as he was on the side of the truth, he was on the side of this God in whom he had faith and who's, who lived at the center of his personal religion. Made him a rather remarkable man in his day. It would make him a rather remarkable man in our day, don't you agree? And the kings and their, and their courtiers saw all of this, and so Daniel was always considered different than everybody else in the court of Nebuchadnezzar and in the court of Belshazzar. He was seen as the one who knew more than anybody else. He was seen as one who had next steps kind of wisdom, just like Joseph had been generations before. And when the chips were down and the kings had to know the truth, they'd bring in the whole dog and pony show of the lessers, and then they would call on Daniel, and Daniel would stand before the kings who held him as a captive. They always called him last because they knew when they finally heard from him, They'd know the truth, period, and they'd know the truth about all these other people that were supposedly serving them. Hmm. Pretty incredible person. When you're reading the book, as, as it opens, and we hear the story of these guys being taken from their country and taken to another nation, um, as soon as they get settled, it is written about Daniel that he, that he lived differently because he chose not to defile himself. That's how the story opens, is introducing Daniel and saying, but Daniel did not want to defile himself. And so the rest of the story unfolds with all those ways that he lived differently than everyone else around him. That phrase, to defile oneself, is really the key to understanding this book and to understanding what we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. Because this whole business of being defiled had everything to do with not just, not faith really, but religion. Back in Israel, there was a a code of worship. There were laws that regulated all of their national religion. And among those laws was that the proper worship of God could only take place in one location. In Daniel's day, it was at the temple, a permanent opulent building. At some point prior to, uh, to Daniel, um, when, when the tribes were first coming together, they had a tent that was an opulent kind of tent. But eventually, this permanent place in Jerusalem, this, this place of incredible grandeur that was supposed to inspire the people to worship, that's the only place that worship could take place. 
And the moral laws and the religious laws about how people ought to live, the things they ought to do and the things they ought not to do, were written all in the interest of making sure that the people would not be defiled, because if they were defiled, dirty, filthy, they could not then go into the temple and, and worship. They couldn't go into the temple and do three things that happened in there. They were very important. The first one was worship, which was gathering together to joyfully take care of the duty of praising God. People have a duty to praise God. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. And human beings, even those who do not yet know him or love him, have a responsibility, a duty in their lives. If there's a God who's like the God we read about in here, he deserves to be praised. And worship is when the people gather and joyfully say to and about God what a great God he is. If you were defiled, you couldn't take care of your duty and you couldn't be with the brothers and sisters and you you couldn't pour your heart out to God. In the temple, worship, very important. Second thing that took place in there was the giving of sacrifices. Sacrifices were the way that God said to the people, hey, how about you participate in your salvation? I will forgive you for what you have done. I will enter into a relationship with you, but there's part of this that that you have to do because relationships, they go both ways. And so there was a, a prescribed code for sacrifices that were offered to take care of sins, to make sure that the people were forgiven and then they could all the more worship God in this joyful, dutiful assembly. But it was God saying, let's do it together. Keep in mind that the sacrifices, however distasteful as that is to you and I today, it was an invitation to the people to participate with God in relationship. You get to be involved. Hey, listen to me now. Religion won't do that for you. All of your self-motivated, hard-driving, dutiful religious practices, they won't change your Only God's Holy Spirit can do that. But God's Holy Spirit does that. Every man, woman, boy, or girl who sincerely... Close your eyes again. Picture God. Picture him smiling, not a grin, big, wide smile. Just about to laugh. It can be because You, my friend, can cause joy to well up in the heart of God by simply doing this one thing. Invite him into your life. I want to be the reason God smiles. I want to be the reason that God had a great day again today. You can open your eyes. I've given up thinking that I'm going to be perfectly religious I've given up thinking that I could keep all the rules. I can't remember half of them. And a bunch of them I don't like. I I suffer a serious lack of motivation to be a good rule keeper. I've given up on the notion that me being really good or extra religious is going to buy me anything from God. Because of what he has done in giving his son and then in giving his Holy Spirit to me, I am being changed. And I believe that those changes 
are causing a smile to come across the face of God. Now, I will also have you know, those things are mostly of great benefit to me. My life is impacted deeply by the goodness of God as I do the things that benefit him, but I have given up trying to manipulate God into blessing me. Instead, I'm living my life in such a way that I hope as God lays his head on his pillow at night, there's a smile because he, he saw me, how I lived toward him, toward you, toward my neighbors today. Friends, if you want to see your heart changed from a, from a religious motivation, trying to get from God what you can get from him, to somebody who delights in the joy of God, invite his Holy Spirit in. See, I got news for you. Your religion's ruined too. Daniel's religion was ruined. They tore down the big church building. They decimated the city where it was. They killed most of the people. They they killed or took all of the livestock that was supposed to be used for the sacrifices. They burned the crops so they didn't have anything to offer as as a thank you. Their religion was ruined. Daniel still lived in a certain way because he was convinced that there is a God who ought to be loved well by his children. And your religion is ruined too. Most of your friends already recognize that. It's why in, in, in modern America we have a very hard time in getting our neighbors to become religious along with us. Because the religious stuff seems to be busted. Do you know what your neighbors notice? They notice in your lives the very things that the kings noticed in the life of Daniel, if if those things are present in your life. How many of you would like to see your friends, your family, connected with the God whose love you enjoy? Then you've got to invite his Holy Spirit to go big in your life and transform you from the inside out and begin to live in ways the proof that God's Holy Spirit is in there. Here's the deal. You can't fake it. You won't pull it off. It actually takes God's Holy Spirit coming and filling you. And we're going to talk about that more in some weeks to come, but you don't have to wait a few weeks to invite God's Holy Spirit to come and fill you today. I told Pastor Bill, I told the prayer team this morning, I have no idea how I was going to end this sermon, and I still don't. I just know that I need to. So how about you stand with me? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question. I do ask that you please bow your heads and close your eyes so you can, you can allow the person next to you to have privacy, okay? Because I'm going to ask some questions. How many people here today are thinking, oh, that sounds good. I want God's Holy Spirit to come and fill me. Don't raise your hands yet, because I'm going to give you some options. I'm going to ask for a show of hands uh, for for who wants God to come and fill them. I'm going to ask who already knows that God's Holy Spirit has come and filled them. And I'm going to ask in a moment 
who doesn't know yet but says, Pastor, I sure want you to pray for me because I think I think I got a big decision to make in my life about this. So first, let me just ask, who, who says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's Holy Spirit has filled me. I give praise for that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. All right, hands down. How many are saying, I want that. I want that. Just raise your hand. I see you back there. Yep. And, and how many are saying, I, I just got to be honest. I'm on the fence. It sounds good, but I need to learn more. And I want you to pray for me because I think I got a big decision to make. Why don't you raise your, raise your hand? I'm, I want good. I see you. Yep. Yep. So Lord, as, as we bow our heads before you, understand that that evidences something about our hearts. Our hearts are bowed as well. We're doing our best to be reverent and respectful to you because we sense you here. Lord, I give you praise that you have filled so many who are gathered here today who have come for this joyful gathering to to dutifully praise you. We give you praise that we don't bring sacrifices with us now. Jesus, your sacrifice, perfect once for all. May your name be praised. But I thank you that you have filled those who who came and gave an, an offering out of love and gratitude. I also give you thanks and praise that you will fill everyone who asks you today, who with convinced hearts, with undivided hearts say, I want to know you and I want to do life with you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me now. Change me from the inside out. Purify me so that my motives are beautiful and loving and not self-serving, both in the way that I approach you and the way I approach my fellow man and even my enemies. Fill me now. Holy Spirit, do what was, what was promised us in your word. Accept that invitation, I pray. And Lord, thank you for the honesty of those who said, well, I don't know, but I, I think I'm going somewhere with God and I, I need to know more before I can act. Lord, please turn on the lights for our friends, your children. And now, Spirit of God, We worship you. We bow before you and give you praise and thanks. You are the mighty, holy, loving, forgiving, perfect God. Surrender our lives to you. And we pray that we will be able to live by your power ways that are glorious and enjoyable to God. From time to time, remind us that God is smiling. It's our fault. In the name of Jesus, we... Friends, would you do something for me? As you kind of digest that this week, would you 
if, if you make a decision or if you sense some, something important happened in your life, you've talked with God's Holy Spirit about this this week. Would you, would you let me in on that? I just, as your pastor, want to know how God is working and how his spirit is doing. In a moment, I'll dismiss us, but I would, uh, I would remind you that on that side of that curtain or back around through the, through the foyer, you can get into the fellowship hall, and there's a ton of chili in there. And so while we have said multiple times that this is a fundraiser, but there's no, there's no ticket price or donations would be accepted, also understand that lack of donations would be accepted more than anything else. We just want to be together. So um, if... If you could possibly um, not eat at your house today or not go out, we would very much love it if you would come and join us right over here. And we'll have some fun judging chili as well, okay? May you know the presence of God. May his spirit dwell within you fully. May you experience the change of heart that turns you from a merely religious person into one whose heart makes God smile. May it be deeply fulfilling and peaceful to you. Amen.